Hello, and welcome to this week's Three Shifts edition by Six Pages, the source for far-reaching market shifts and what they mean. It's April 2nd, 2021. I'm Eric Thompson, and here are the three shifts that you need to know this week. One, the U.S. Federal Reserve opens the door to a FedCoin digital dollar. Two, Intel doubles down on making chips designed by other firms. And three, everyone wants to build their own clubhouse. Shift one, the U.S. Federal Reserve opens the door to a FedCoin digital dollar. Last week, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell unveiled at a virtual event on central bank innovation that the U.S. was actively exploring a central bank digital currency, or CBDC, and experimenting with the technology. Powell had previously said 2021 would be an important year for the Fed in engaging with the public on a CBDC. Powell, however, was clear that the Fed was not yet in decision-making mode and would be deliberate in considering the impact, given the dollar's role as the world's principal reserve currency. The Fed would also want Congress to pass an authorizing law to establish legality. The reveal by the Fed chairman indicates a cautious but meaningful step forward towards a FedCoin digital dollar. Powell also referenced a multi-year collaboration with MIT that began in August 2020 to build a hypothetical CBDC. News emerged on the same day as Powell's comments that the MIT collaboration could release two prototype platforms as soon as July 2021. A CBDC can be generally understood as a digital liability issued and backed by central banks denominated in an existing sovereign currency, used to exchange or store value, and considered legal tender. It is a digital fiat complement to paper banknotes and coins, representing, like cash, a claim on a central bank. There are two types of CBDCs, wholesale, which is used by banks, and retail general purpose, which is the focus of most of the energy underway today around CBDCs. Today, in the U.S., Only financial institutions can hold digital central bank currency in the form of reserves. Most digital money held by consumers is backed by commercial banks and FDIC insurance up to $250,000. The appeal of general-purpose CBDCs is in their potential to be faster and less expensive, enabling near-instant payments and settlements for domestic and cross-border transactions at a fraction of the cost. A CBDC could also make it easier for underbanked individuals to get bank accounts outside the private banking system. In late 2020, the quote-unquote Central Bank for Central Banks, Bank of International Settlements, or BIS, surveyed 65 central banks representing 72% of the world's population and found that 86% of central banks were working on a digital currency. Only one general-purpose CBDC has been fully launched so far, in the Bahamas. One of the most prominent efforts underway is China's digital yuan, also known as DCEP or ECNY. China is currently testing the digital yuan in six cities, giving away millions of dollars worth of digital yuan to citizens this year. It is pushing for the digital yuan to be fully operational in time for the 2022 Beijing Olympics. While central bank digital currencies have the potential to be sweeping in impact, the impact will fall largely upon commercial banks and other private sector financial institutions rather than consumers. If citizens can directly hold virtually risk-free accounts with central banks, it could put intense pressure on the banking sector, threatening banks' liquidity, for example bank runs, and their ability to provide services such as lending. 
The potential for disintermediation and massive disruption of the private sector is one main reason why the large advanced economies have moved slowly on CBDCs, viewing them in the past as more of a threat than opportunity. Powell has emphasized, among the principles steering the Fed's design decisions, that any CBDC would coexist with commercial money and cash and, quote, be integrated into existing payment systems, end quote. China has echoed those sentiments, saying the digital yuan would coexist with Alipay and WeChat Pay. The Nobel laureate Robert Mundell once wrote, quote, Great powers have great currencies, end quote. The leading CBDC would be the most liquid asset in the global economy. As a bearer instrument backed by the full faith and credit of, say, the U.S. government, the national digital currency would have virtually no counterparty risk and embody both payment and settlement. The advent of currencies like the digital yuan poses a nascent but existential threat to the U.S.'s ability to wield power on the global political stage through the U.S. dollar, from sanctions to U.S. dollar-denominated trade. Stablecoins, cryptocurrency pegged to a stable asset such as a fiat currency, are also viewed as a possible threat based on their potential to become widely adopted and systemic, one reason why they will be subject to intensive regulatory scrutiny. The story of national digital currencies is as much about control as transformation. Who will own the global currency printing press and who will maintain sovereignty over their own monetary policy? For some countries like China, a digital currency also offers the government more avenues for surveillance and control over their citizens. To read more content related to digital currency and cryptocurrency, check out our February 19th, 2021, Three Shifts edition, Traditional Financial Institutions Are Embracing Crypto. In our March 6th, 2020 brief, Digital Yuan, eKrona, and Other National Digital Currencies. Shift 2. Intel doubles down on making chips designed by other firms. Last week, Intel's new CEO, Pat Gelsinger, unveiled a major strategy reset called IDM 2.0. IDM stands for Integrated Device Manufacturer. The reset included a new standalone Intel Foundry services business targeting customers such as Apple and Qualcomm in the U.S. and Europe. Intel will invest $20 billion to build two new chip factories, or FABs, in Arizona, which are expected to begin production by 2024. Notably, Intel's new FABs will have committed capacity for Foundry customers, in addition to supporting current products. The move represents a significant shift for Intel which is known for its commitment to making its own designs as an integrated device manufacturer, IDM. Even as it's faced challenges from ARM-based chip designs, fabless chip designers, and advanced Asian foundries like the world's largest chip maker, TSMC. Intel is not abandoning its IDM approach and will continue to manufacture most of its products in-house, as well as push forward on 7 nanometer technology. However, it will expand its use of third-party manufacturers, including for its core CPU offerings, and fully commit to the foundry business. Intel has tried to build a foundry business before, most recently in 2013 and 2014. This time around, however, Intel has tailwinds behind its ambitions. The world is currently experiencing a massive global chip shortage, putting tens of billions of dollars at risk across industries such as automotive, smartphones, and gaming consoles. In the U.S., there's been growing awareness of the decline in American chip making and Chinese influence over global chip manufacturing. President Biden's just-announced $2 trillion infrastructure plan, for instance, includes $50 billion for chip R&D and production incentives. 
Intel's moves come as CPU chip designer ARM ramps up competition with the unveiling of its ARM V9 chip architecture, the biggest overhaul in nearly a decade. ARM, whose $40 billion deal to be acquired by GPU chipmaker NVIDIA is still pending, has redesigned its architecture for AI workloads and quote-unquote ubiquitous computing applications, beyond phones, computers, and servers. According to ARM, the new design will deliver a 30% plus increase in performance over prior generations. Intel's move into foundry services taps into a growing trend that had previously been a threat to Intel, big tech firms designing their own chips. Apple announced in June 2020 that, after a 15-year relationship, its Mac computers would transition from Intel chips to its own Apple Silicon. All the major cloud players, Amazon, Microsoft, and Google, have been developing their own chips for several years. Just this past week, it was revealed that Amazon is developing a chip for its network hardware switches. Given the capital intensity, requisite scale, and complexity of chip manufacturing, however, none of these big tech firms will manufacture their chip designs themselves. With its new foundry services, Intel can position itself as a U.S.-based supplier, an increasingly attractive proposition as global supply chains seek to diversify away from China. One major lure is that Intel will make available its foundational IP to foundry customers, in addition to being able to draw upon ARM and RISC-V ecosystem IP. Intel will still have to build out its customer service capabilities, no small feat. However, given the standalone nature of the new foundry business, committed fab capacity, and access to foundational IP, Intel's new CEO is signaling that he is all in. To read more content related to chip manufacturing and the global chip shortage, check out our February 12th, 2021 Three Shifts edition, The Global Chip Shortage is Putting Billions of Dollars at Risk Across Industries. In our June 26th, 2020 Three Shifts edition, Apple reinforces its walled garden with Apple Silicon chips and Macs. Shift 3. Everyone wants to build their own clubhouse. Clubhouse, the buzzy, invite-only, audio-based social platform, has been in existence for just one year and is still not available to the general public. However, it's already valued at over $1 billion and the target of a growing array of competitor copycats. In Clubhouse, users have the ability to create public or private rooms for live audio conversations with other users. Users can follow other users and drop into public rooms to listen in on hosted conversations. Up to 8,000 users can be in a room. Listeners can ask to engage in someone else's conversation by raising their virtual hand to get speaking rights. Clubhouse reportedly has over 10 million registered users and has been downloaded 13 million times, despite still being iOS only. Its Android launch is expected in a couple months. High-profile personalities like Elon Musk, Oprah, and Mark Andreessen have been key to Clubhouse's growth and buzz. Clubhouse, which raised $100 million in January 2021, currently has no meaningful revenue streams. It plans to soon launch a Patreon-like model in which supporters can fund creators through tips, subscriptions, or tickets, with Clubhouse taking a small cut. In the meantime, creators and scammers have figured out ways to make money on Clubhouse, from sponsorships to deal-making to asking for cryptocurrency. Clubhouse last month launched a quote-unquote creator-first program to provide financial support to select creators. Clubhouse will face some of its biggest challenges from the social giants bringing audio-only rooms into the respective platforms. 
Later this month, Twitter will open up Spaces, which lets users host and listen to live conversations to all Twitter users. Spaces are public, any Twitter user can listen in, and each space can hold an unlimited number of users. Spaces are expected to be part of the paywall in Twitter's recently announced Superfollow paid subscription feature, which will let creators monetize audiences through premium member-only content. In February 2021, still under-development screenshots of Facebook's Clubhouse clone were leaked. It appears to be an extension of Facebook's Messenger Rooms, which can currently support up to 50 participants in a group video chat. In addition to the private video rooms, the platform would also offer audio-only rooms that can be private or public. Competition is coming from professional social platforms as well. This week, LinkedIn announced it was developing an audio-only social feature, which it believes will be differentiated in being connected to users' professional identity. The company has been on a big push to attract and support creators, and already has a LinkedIn Live video broadcasting service that it could leverage. In the same vein, Slack CEO Stuart Butterfield announced last week in a Clubhouse room with Clubhouse CEO Paul Davison that Slack would be launching an audio-based feature. Quote, I've always believed the good artists copy, great artists steal thing, end quote, said Butterfield. Quote, so we're just building Clubhouse into Slack, essentially, end quote. Slack's version appears to be for collaboration purposes, enabling more spontaneous chats amongst colleagues and partners rather than scheduled calls. Messaging platform Telegram last month launched a feature that enables admins of public groups and channels to hold live conversations that quote-unquote millions of users can listen to. Discord, which lets users chat while playing games together and is said to be in acquisition talks with Microsoft for a reported $10 billion plus, just this week released its stage channel's live broadcasting feature across all platforms. Also this week, Spotify acquired Betty Labs, to help create quote-unquote live audio experiences in which Spotify listeners can engage with creators during real-time programs. Looking at this list, it almost seems as if every player that can compete with Clubhouse is trying to. We won't even mention all the big tech firms in China or the long tail of competitors. Part of this is due to Clubhouse lacking a product or technology-based competitive moat. Its core audio room concept and look and feel are hard to protect, which is why we're seeing so much UX that's very similar to Clubhouse's. Clubhouse, while first to market, faces an uphill battle in fending off social giants such as Facebook and Twitter, particularly while the company stays in private beta. Ultimately, the crowds will flow to the most compelling and exclusive content. Maintaining a lasting connection with users, for instance, by targeting specific domains like Discord or serving specific needs like Slack, will be essential. One obvious way is to attract popular influencers and high-quality creators, which is why we're seeing the rollout of so many creator-oriented programs. In the near term, we can expect community and monetization will be the primary draws for influencers. Other factors, however, such as moderation, integration, and accessibility, will become increasingly important over time. To read more content related to messaging apps and social media, check out our February 9th, 2021 brief, Encrypted Messaging Apps Everywhere, Privacy vs. Monetization. In our October 9th, 2020, Three Shifts edition, social media tries to encourage more civil conversations. That's it for this week's Three Shifts edition. If you'd like to read more content and you're not already subscribed, head to sixpages.com to sign up for free summaries of our deeply researched briefs and the Three Shifts edition straight to your inbox. 
Keep an eye out for our upcoming brief on the role of MDMA in psychedelics and healthcare treatment. And talk to you again on next week's Three Shifts Edition.